I started watching The Americans. I started a while ago, but I only got a few episodes in before I lost it. So I've started back. I think I watched the first season of that, maybe even a little more than that, and then stopped. And I don't know why. I seem to like it so far. It's interesting. I like the characters. I don't remember being bored or anything. I just like started watching something else. Yeah, I kind of fell off the wagon the first time, too. I'm, again, same thing. I don't know why. Maybe I wasn't paying enough attention. I feel like this one you really have to, like, have to pay attention. <laughs> yeah, I remember the story being very layered. And, I mean, it is like a spy thriller television show series, you know? Mm. So they fit a lot of information in there. Yeah, yeah. It's cool, though. I mean, I like it. Yeah, I remember it being good. I've known some other people that liked it, but I don't know anybody who, like, actually watched the whole show. (laughs) As strange as that is. It's just like, yeah, I guess we'll see how far I get into it. Who knows? Maybe it jumps the shark in, like, season three or something. (laughs) (laughs) You drinking out of a beaker is going to make me laugh every time I see it. It's an Erlenmeyer flask. It's an Erlenmeyer flask. I know, but God damn it. Exactly. I'm going to call you Beaker today. <laughs> ex- I know exactly how many MLs. <laughs> yeah, you, you got to keep track of that consumption rate. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I, like, it's <laughs> great. Like, the swirling is not dangerous at all, you know? <laughs> Don't even have to waft the fumes or anything. You, know, you can just. <laughs> no lab safety protocols to follow here. <laughs> Oh, I know. I've been watching uh, Rick and Morty again. Mm-hmm. Started rewatching that. I remember I went over to your place maybe a couple of years ago. We just binged like all of it or nearly all of it. I think it was right after season one got put on Hulu and I was like, yeah, you need to see the show. So we just sat down and binged the show together one day. You were, <laughs> But you were right. It was so good. <laughs> The Two Brothers commercial. God, two yes. Brothers. <laughs> uh, I want that t-shirt. I gotta get it at some point. The oh, other man. thing you made me binge. Well, I don't know if we binged it. But we definitely watched at least like two episodes. Was the uh, the show where the girls and people's clothes were living things. Do you remember this? And it gave them superpowers or something. What? Yeah, like the main character had like a like a schoolgirl shirt or something, and it made her powerful, and it turned into a scythe or something. Oh, uh, Kill La Kill? Yes. Yes. Oh, I've watched that show, I think, four or five times all the way through. <laughs> when I made you watch it, it was right after the English dub came out. I knew I could get you to watch it that way, because I was like... He might not want to read an entire show, but uh, I might be able to get him to watch it with this. And I was watching it on, like, some really fucking sketch anime mirror site. People would watch shit on God knows what streaming service and then illegally post them on this really (laughs) shitty underground site. I'm pretty sure I had to, like, wipe my computer after watching the English dub of Kill la Kill. Literally download a virus in order to... (laughs) 
<laughs> and they're obvious about it too. They're like, yeah, I mean, you know, this is a virus, but you won't show, right? When you're on a quote unquote anime website and all of the ads on it are for like, you know, cam girls and stuff, you're, you're just going to assume that you're immediately getting every internet virus. Yeah. You're in the danger zone at that point for sure. <laughs> There was a movie I wanted to talk about that I watched, and I'm trying to... Ah, there it is. La La Land. La La Land? <laughs> Lada with D's. <laughs> it's L-A-D-D-A-L-A-N-D. I watched that. It's really spooky. As far as, like, haunted house-type movies go, this one hit really good, man. Like, it hit hard. I enjoyed it a lot. I think other people should go see it. Was it the house itself that was on it? No, so like, short explanation without spoilers, I guess. Lower income family from Bangkok finally makes enough money to buy their own house. And they move out to, I don't know if you'd call it the suburbs or just like a more suburb type city. But they finally get enough money to move out here. And shortly after they move out there, the maid at another house is found just like brutally murdered. And a couple of people start saying that they see her ghosts and shit like that. I don't know. It's, it's a weird ghost movie, but it's also kind of like like a psychological thriller because all the ghost sightings and everything are just making different group different families and individuals within the town go fucking insane and it, it was a really good little twist on a otherwise boring ghost story interesting with the homes old everything just looked like a newly built finished subdivision kind That's of thing cool. yeah so yeah l-a-d-d-a-l-a-n-d 2011 if you got netflix go watch la la land it's really good i recommend it lastly i think our home invasion month kind of ruined my brain a little bit are you also like i am like double checking that the door's locked bro it got so much worse than that <laughs> So, but you've known me forever, and you and I lived in a very tiny dorm room together for a year. Mm -hmm. You know I have, like, nightmares and night terrors all the fucking time. And Home Invasion, the reason it's one of my favorite subgenre of horror is because that's what most of my nightmares are, or home invasion scenarios. The other night, because I have to get up at fucking 4.30 now to go to work, I guess I drifted off to sleep without even realizing it. And the dream I had was literally me laying in bed with all the lights out and everything, and I hear a fucking door open in my house. And in the dream... I fucking go grab my gun. You know, I'm sneaking around because I've got my fan on to make a bunch of noise so I don't hear shit when I sleep. I'm sneaking around and I creak a door open and I see somebody like down uh, looking through my living room toward my kitchen. I see somebody down there and they haven't noticed me. I fucking round the corner with my gun and start shooting and then we have a scuffle. Eventually I knock them to the fucking ground. I get the gun to their head and I'm just like, wailing on the trigger <laughs> shooting them like 12 times in the head with a 22 rifle and that was my dream and i wake up in a fucking cold sweat in my bed and everything is exactly like it was at the beginning of my dream because it was a dream in my house right oh no 
oh god and so like i literally had to get up it was like two in the morning at this point i get up i grab my gun and i clear my entire fucking house and like turn on all the outside lights and look around don't see anything shut it all back down it took me another hour to get back to sleep (laughs) oh my god that's the worst because normally it's like your or other dreams you're you know you're somewhere else and so it's easy to be like all right that was just a dream but yeah like you said you woke up and it's literally the same situation yeah that that shit freaked me the fuck out man and i blame my movie choices for all of august Luckily, yeah. I think the one that was the worst for me was um, Hush, for sure. Hush was a little too real, man. (laughs) Yeah, it was too, like, everything was mostly too real. Because Mischief Night was insane, and, you know, if it was Halloween, maybe you would feel it more. But uh, After Dark was, like, not your typical own invasion. What was the other one we watched? And then the other one was, like, they went into danger. Danger didn't come to them kind of thing. Yeah, Don't Breathe was just bleh. (laughs) I'm not uh, breaking into a blind man's house, so I'll be fine. (laughs) Yeah, man, there's some fucked up shit. I had a dream. This was, I don't know what this means. Need to contact my horoscope master or whatever <laughs> people contact. What's You're the uh, astrologer? No, no, no. What's, what's the website that we keep thinking? Uh, uh, CaliforniaPsychics.com. I need to contact my CaliforniaPsychics.com <laughs> advisor or counselor or whoever because I, I, I hear they have a one eight hundred number that's only eight dollars a minute. So not bad. I mean, as far as therapy goes. <laughs> You know, what is that? Uh, it's actually a lot. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure that's more expensive than the therapist I can afford. So. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's actually quite a lot. But point is, dream was weird. I was traveling on foot and there was a point where we got to a river and there was just shoes everywhere. It felt very <laughs> like some of the pictures you see around the Holocaust where there's just piles of shoes. But there was no bodies or anything. It wasn't bad, but it was definitely World War Three. And I was somewhere in Europe with somebody. We had to take our shoes off there and leave them there. I don't know why. Before we <laughs> swam across the river. I don't remember much after that. <laughs> and then we talked about the Holocaust and Holocaust imagery for six minutes. Ugh. Heavy. Well, that was a good light. <laughs> opening i'm glad (laughs) nice casual (laughs) opening yeah so so hey everybody welcome back to real specific if this is (laughs) let's talk about love stories now Nice, easy transition from Holocaust to uh, love stories, Shakespearean hey, love stories. At least we're covering a tragedy this week. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> this cold open is just a our terrible psychology and then human tragedy. Oh, God. If this is your first episode, um, first sorry. of all, congrats. <laughs> Second of all, welcome. And I hope you stuck through that. (laughs) This is Real Specific, the podcast where each month we pick a very specific subgenre of film and dive into a few examples of it. It's September. September. This month. 
We're doing 90 Shakespeare adaptations, and this week we're doing the lovely 1996 Romeo plus Juliet. That's what I'm going to keep calling it, even though that's technically not the name. It's all over the place as Romeo plus Juliet, so fuck them. Directed by Baz Luhrmann. Um... We, we all know the story of Romeo and Juliet, right? I've never heard of it. Okay, good. Um, I'm not going to explain it. You saw this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, like, I know in America, like, for God's sake, here in Georgia, I think we covered this play every two years or so in English. Yeah. It, it gets really tedious, too. Out of the Shakespeare plays I do know, it, this is by far my least favorite one. Maybe it's because it's been shoved down my throat too many times, but, you know, I would much prefer Othello or something like that. We know the story. And, I mean, I will say I think it's because we're guys, boys right. will be boys, and we don't necessarily want to watch a sappy love story play out, you know? I mean, eh, not generally speaking. And uh, for me, I don't mind a love story. Like, literally... My favorite genres go horror and then rom-coms because I think rom-coms are ridiculous and absolutely stupid and they deserve to be adored. <laughs> but this is a tragic love story, I should say. I agree. Of unrequited love <laughs> between Mercutio and Romeo. <laughs> yeah. In this movie, I think that might be true. <laughs> I, I think... Baz Luhrmann or Baz Luhrmann, I'm not sure how to say his name as usual, but I, I think he is quite obsessed with the male form. I'm pretty sure 90% of the reason he wanted to make this movie was so that he could stare into those deep blue eyes of Leo D for hours on end. And opposite Leo D as Romeo, obviously, opposite. we have the girl from Homeland as Juliet. <laughs> Girl from Homeland. You're gonna, out of all the things Claire Danes has been in, you're gonna pick Homeland. What else? I feel like she's been in a ton of stuff that I just don't. I mean, she was huge in the 90s, and that's why she got this role, I'm sure. I learned who she is from Homeland. Oh, what the hell? <laughs> the, um, the terrors of modern convenience. My roommate ordered uh delivery food and has the wrong food and whatever anyway. oh, jesus no. uh, also i forgot to say uh, i'm jake and i'm here with my friend i'm klaus <laughs> so if you haven't listened to any other episodes i'm sorry that took so long but yeah claire danes i mean she was in a show for a couple of years called my so-called life that's where my sister knew her from and liked her from uh that was 94 95 so a little early for us terminator 3 oh she's in terminator 3 yes apparently sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of the bigger ones. Les Mis. Le well, that was the 99 or 98 Les Mis, so probably not the one you're thinking of. Uh, Broke Down Palace, 99. I remember that one. The Hours, 2002. The Rainmaker, 97. Any other big things? I mean, she's been around. Stardust, 2007. This is a Claire Danes episode. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a huge Claire Danes fan, as I will expound upon throughout this. Well, let's expound. Let's let's get into it. Do you want to introduce the the overall? I, I like I said, everyone knows this fucking yeah. story. The basic gist of this adaptation, as we 
I forgot to also mention, man, I am really shooting it from the hip today. <laughs> <laughs> the themes for this month's subgenre of 90s Shakespeare adaptations, we're going to be looking at what play is it based on, obviously. Uh, is it a tragedy or comedy? And then we're going to be looking at how faithful the movie is to the source material. And we're going to be looking for the overall 90s of it all. Whoo! This movie with that soundtrack really getting to the 90s on this one. Oh, the 90s. I feel like it's such a hard thing. Like if someone said, hey, take out a piece of paper, get a pencil, write at the top 90s and start listing things that make things quote unquote 90s. I think it'd be hard to list. I mean, music would be one, but like, I feel like it's hard to define, but you know it when you see it. So the twist on this movie is basically we're doing Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet with all the original dialogue, most of the original stage direction, or classic stage direction, I should say. But we're going to put it in this weird, highly stylized 90s world, and we're going to try and fit these Shakespearean characters into 90s analogs that are all done way over the top, mm -hmm. just fucking crazy, which makes a lot of sense now that I know Baz Luhrmann, this director, also wrote and directed Moulin Rouge. Moulin Rouge, very, very good movie. I think only because he got this one out of his system kind of to practice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, so just to remind you, if it's been a little while, Romeo and Juliet, to remind you of some of the details beyond two kids fall in love and it ends poorly. You have these two families that are kind of like mob 90s gangs in this movie. Don't like each other. Uh, one boy and one girl, Romeo and Juliet, fall in love at a party and they're from these war factions, which makes the love um, not allowed by society standards, but they want to anyway. Uh, and it ends poorly. The kind of subplot, I, I don't know if subplot is the right word, but another kind of narrative that's going on that I felt was maybe played up in the movie is uh, one of the members of Romeo's gang, Mercutio, who kind of plays a lead role and there's a, like a strong friendship with Romeo or strong connection in some way that I think are setting some of the undertones. But yeah, yeah, the opening narration, I think it just jumps into the, the fight, the gang fight. The kind of equivalent that we'll get into in this movie is that they're, they seem to be like gangs more than families themselves. It, they almost seem like two warring, like the patriarchs at the top almost seem like mobsters or something mm -hmm. right i got that feel too yeah they're really rich they have all this money they're constantly throwing parties and trying to influence the government in one way or another meanwhile they have their street men who are all just like 90s la gang members big shiny belt buckles and the shoes like the all the guns have bedazzling on them and chains and the cars are like souped at hooped out and all right especially this opening sequence because we have to get to all right first off opening narration which is how the actual play opens is read to you by a news anchor on an old tube tv that starts really far away from you and really tiny on the screen and then it slowly zooms in until it takes up the entire screen and for whatever reason after the opening narration we get more narration by someone else <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm assuming because everyone who watched the original cut of this was like, well, that opening narration wasn't a fucking enough for me to understand what the fuck this shit is. <laughs> Gosh. And then we kind of get into the, the gang fight with that sequence. So we see, I believe it, it even says, quote unquote, the Montague boys, something to that effect on the screen as we are introduced to the Montague gang members, one of which is played by Jamie Kennedy. I don't know how the fuck Jamie Kennedy got so famous in the 90s, but Jesus fucking Christ, he is one of the most obnoxious looking people in this movie and continues to be that throughout most of his career. If you don't remember Jamie Kennedy just by name, he's also in Scream uh, as the guy who works at the movie store and... Malibu's Most Wanted is the one that, like, that is Jamie Kennedy in my mind. Yeah, that's what I, I knew you would know him from that. Son of the Mass, Scream 2. So, in Scream, he's the one that's like, horror movies have rules, man, and then explains all the horror movie rules that all then come true. Jamie Kennedy, uh, Malibu's Most Wanted is where a lot of people our age will know him from, unless you're just into genre movies and stuff. In this movie, he's like got pink spiked up hair and he is just as awful LA 90s as you can get and I don't get it. <laughs> I don't think I realized that's who it was, but I know the character you're talking about. Uh, as soon as I saw him, I was like, oh, fuck this guy. <laughs> oh, that is him. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, okay. So it starts out, you're at this gas station, you have the two gangs, there's a lot of like showboating at first, and they eventually get into a shootout, essentially. What's interesting, I think, about this scene is less the scene. I think if watch any Romeo and Juliet movie, and I think more than half will start with a fight between the two gangs, or the two families, or whatever they're represented by in that movie. What I think is interesting here is the crazy editing. The costumes, the sound effects, whoosh, 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 the quick snaps, the color coloring it's wild oh my god i i thought i was gonna get motion sickness watching this fucking intro scene because like at first you're speeding down the highway then there's this quick pull into the gas station and then all this bullshit starts seriously we have we got snap zooms whip pans smash cuts like there there's so many edits in this first scene klaus i don't know if you've ever seen natural born killers but it's famous for like it took tarantino i think like nine months to edit it or something like that because there's so many cuts throughout the movie and i thought this movie was going to be the same way because that's how many bullshit we were dealing with here in this first fucking scene and that's the other part of it that i noticed is like they made these really wacky sound effects like a character would very quickly turn their head to the left or right or back and forth and you would hear literally added in Oh yeah, it it was like a it was like a nineties action movie made by someone who didn't understand action movies, or maybe they were going for like a comic book feel, or because of the gun charms and stuff that made me think of a more anime type feel. I don't know what they were going for, but they failed at all of it. I literally the note I put was what the f what the hell? Excuse my my Gallic. <laughs> is this gunfight scene because i wasn't expecting it i was expecting okay romeo here's another romeo story here we go all right i got it romeo 
of romance. And we get that eventually sometimes. But yeah, this was wild. It just threw me off the entire time. And once again, we're using all the original Shakespearean dialogue. So you have all of these idiotic, cartoonish looking characters, but then they're doing that opening scene of it that's kind of funny, but in the actual play, it generally builds tension when the Capulet guy and the Montague guy are finishing everything with Sir at the end mm. of it. Because they're both knights, like, that's supposed to be the deal, is they're two knights of separate warring factions, and, or not warring, but begrudged factions. Sure. They keep ending everything with Sir, which is supposed to denote chivalrous actions, and it's supposed to elevate their status. Yet, when you have these fucking goons saying it over and over again, it makes no fucking sense. <laughs> Do you buy your thumb at us, sir? I do buy my thumb, sir! Do you buy your thumb at us? Sir. Is love our side if I say I? No! No, sir, did I buy my thumb at you, sir, but I buy my thumb, sir! Do you quarrel, sir? Quarrel, sir? No, sir! But if you do, sir, for you, I serve as good a man as you! No better? Here comes our kinsman, say better! Yes, sir, better! Yeah, it, it, you know, at best it plays against type. At worst, it's just a clash of thoughts. Then we get shit like a close-up on one of their pistols, and the brand, I guess, of the pistol is sword. <laughs> like, it's a sword 9mm on the side of the barrel. <laughs> and that's what allows for the use of lines like, Put up your swords! Yeah. Oh, God. Not to mention the main Capulet guy is played by John Leguizamo. That's right, people. The pest himself. John Leguizamo. <laughs> Klaus, have you ever seen the intro to the movie The Pest? Or the opening scene to the movie The Pest? No, I have not. Um, so we're gonna take a couple minutes and let Klaus watch this opening to The Pest. Um... So Klaus, I'm sending you a link. Yeah, we're just going to take a three minute aside to let Klaus watch the in <laughs> intro to The Pest. If you uh, type it into YouTube, it's The Pest-Opening Song. Go give that a watch. I'm going to live commentary this. Okay. Oh, the record scratch. Oh my god, the fonts, the 90s colors, the like weird pink and blues. Yeah, the, the kind of uh, fresh prints. Yeah, kind of just the helicopter shots. Like, hey, we have a helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly filmed in, like, Miami. Yeah, like skateboards. Yeah, sure. Okay, busy family. He's shaving or something. Through the keyhole, he's singing. What is this? <laughs> Thought you were going to live comment, man. <laughs> I'm lost for words. What? You can't do this. How many costume changes in this shower? Why are there flatulence noises? So keep in mind, this movie came out a year after Romeo plus Juliet. Why did they decide to go with this opening? <laughs> you could not do this in today's climate. And it was probably not a good idea at that time either. I mean, in 97, you could get away with a lot more. I don't know if you could get away with this much more. This is wild. The bird singing now? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the 90s shirt with just insane colors. 
Like, it looks like graffiti. The weird, like, fast-forward way of filming almost. Oh, my God. Oh, boy. Did anyone like that movie? That seems like one that everyone hated. <laughs> I think it's one that no one saw. I, I need to thank my friends Deb and Jeff for introducing that to me, because holy shit. My life is worse for knowing someone made that. Yeah, and that's how I think about a lot of things that some of my friends show me on the internet. <laughs> they could have planted a tree in the time that it took. You know, did you ever think about that? They could have planted a tree. <laughs> think, think about all the money that was spent on the production of that one three-minute scene and song and all of the things that they could have done with that money, but instead oh they made God. that. <laughs> So yeah, that's uh, the Capulets' main guy right there, John Leguizamo. Oh, the other thing I want to say about this scene is there were some like Western vibes thrown in there, I guess because they have guns and they have to. Well, and John Leguizamo's character is, I don't know, he's like some kind of cowboy cholo. I don't know what's going on with his character. In the 90s, LA? He's like very Mexican cowboy. Like I could see somebody dressing like this character in Texas, maybe. Like, you know, if you're going for an over-the-top Texas Mexican guy, I could see this, but you're going for like a weird future LA and this is your guy? I I don't know. I, I don't get it. It's all wrong and it all hurts. Everything was over the top. There was no holds bars. There's no like, you know, these people are going to wear blue or these people are going to wear red or like, you know, so we can clearly delineate between people. And like it wasn't because not everybody on that side were wearing cowboy boots and stuff. It was just him. And I don't know. I just think it was wild. Well, I, I will say like his outfit and everything did kind of set him apart as the leader of the Capulet gang. Fair. I'll give him that. Yeah. Um, whereas the Montague gang, I didn't know who was in charge. It's been quite a while since I've read the play, so I didn't remember which character was which. So, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, whew, it's a whole big mess, and let's get past it so we can talk about other parts of this fucking movie. My, my next note was about young, moody Leonardo DiCaprio looking sexy as hell. I mean, you gotta hand it to the guy. Back in the 90s, he was a dreamboat, and he fucking rode that wave all the way to the bank. Yeah, and all the way through, like, several, you know, ballerinas and models. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he was the leader of the pussy posse, so you know about that, right? No. Oh, God, yeah, him and, like, three other actors. I can never remember who was part of the pussy posse, but... They literally just rolled around all the L.A. clubs, smashing as much poon as they could get their hands on, and they literally called themselves the Pussy Posse. Wow. Yeah, I, I gotta look up who else was in it, because it's kind of funny. Oh, that's just a bunch of porn. Oh, jeez. <laughs> uh, you type in Pussy Posse, it immediately brings up stuff about Leonardo DiCaprio. Okay, it's okay. pretty hilarious. Yeah, whatever you say, gorilla porn up marketing campaign <laughs> leah was it brad pitt was he in there i have never heard of this before so i'm purely guessing no brad pitt was too old i believe oh so it's leonardo dicaprio mm -hmm. david blaine the david, magician the magician mm -hmm. shocking <laughs> toby mcguire 
more shocking. Yep. Uh, Kevin Connolly, who was the guy on uh, Entourage. He was the, like, smaller one with a good head on his shoulders in yeah. Entourage. So he, he basically played himself in Entourage. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was just a huge 90s thing of those guys running around sleeping with all the women they could. I, I gotta be honest. When you explained the concept, I was like, okay, yes, yeah, so you're going to have like Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, you know, some <laughs> other people that are like known to be like attractive, pretty boy actors. And like, <laughs> Leo was the only name that made sense in that group. The magician? Uh, David Blaine and Tobey Maguire, you know those guys were getting laid all the time, though. Come on. Is that true? <laughs> Fuck yeah, man. David Blaine could literally take a woman's bra and panties off without removing any of the rest of her clothing, and she wouldn't even know it. Come on. <laughs> Which, uh, in today's climate, probably not a good thing. <laughs> uh, back in the 90s, early 2000s, I mean, that was all the rage, so. Consensually. I'm shocked. <laughs> I am shocked. I mean, come on, you wouldn't fuck Spider-Man 3? <laughs> Only if he does that dance on the stairs, or whatever, just constantly. <laughs> So anyway, to get back to our movie, uh, as soon as Leonardo DiCaprio is introduced, instead of doing whip pans and fucking snap zooms and shit, we are just doing extreme close-ups of his beautiful face and eyes and his overly moody hair all in his face. and The squint, the eyebrow slightly raised, squint, mouth slightly ajar. Yeah, he's doing that look the entire time. <laughs> Unfortunately, his acting still hasn't caught up to his looks by this point, and that's going to be a major problem throughout this movie. It'll get there, but maybe it's not quite there yet, but you know. He's what, 12 in this movie? I don't know how old he was. I mean, shit, man. This was 24 years ago. And and the other thing, too, is so he's in the gang and there's other people in the gang. I don't know if originally Romeo was supposed to be like a leader in the gang or not, but I got the intense vibe that he was like a rookie noob, newbie in this crew. I guess technically... All of these guys work for his father, right? Like, that's that's technically what's going on. But he's the same age as, or around the same age as them, so he hangs out with them and, like, is, quote-unquote, the main guy because he has to be because they're all employed by his father. Or his father's yeah. the most powerful and rich one that they follow. So, either way, uh, we get this awesome pool hall scene. Mm. where they just kind of walk in off the beach and are playing pool and whatnot and we get this really fucking cool handshake between him and the leader of the montague boys <laughs> the gang uh, dynamics and interactions were maybe my favorite part i didn't really care about the love story we kind of know what happens there but the and i guess we know what happens across the board but the interactions with the gang members was much more interesting to me like mercutio and how that played out yeah i do feel like this is the only version of this story where i understood the relationships within the male group enough I feel like every other version I've ever seen of this only focuses on the story of Romeo and Juliet. Mm -hmm. Like, all the other characters just kind of get pushed to the wayside. Yeah, as purely background noise. Yeah, and in this one, I think they actually did a good job of showing 
the other characters and getting them involved in the plot, which was always there. I think it just normally gets cut out or cut down. Mm -hmm. Or de-emphasized. Yeah, I agree. We don't get Leo D until like 20 minutes or some shit into this two-hour movie. And immediately after that first scene with him being all moody by himself on the beach and whatnot, we get introduced to Juliet, Miss Claire Danes Mm. herself. And I don't understand why this choice was made. So the Capulets, as we can tell by John Leguizamo's character, are very Hispanic. John Leguizamo's character looks like a Mexican cowboy, and they have a maid who is literally calling our female lead, Juliet. Juliet! So she can't say Juliet, she can only say Juliet, because that's how she pronounces J's. And we're racist enough to think that's okay. Yeah, it was, it's like definitely the a trope, you know, that was maybe not as frowned upon then, but it certainly would be more now. But this whole segment uh, of the film is the, kind of the next segment, which is setting up, introducing you, one, to Juliet, and two, setting up that she's going to be wed, and she's going to meet this other guy soon, and he's a big to-do and all this. Did you realize who that guy is played by? Paul Rudd, ageless. <laughs> ageless Paul Rudd looks exactly the same. <laughs> I honestly, when I saw him, I was like, man, he looks kind of old in this. It's because he hasn't, he, he looks the same right now. Yeah, and right now I know he's like in his 40s, but he looks the same now as he did whenever this was filmed. Since he was like 18, he has looked the exact same as he does. Like, go watch fucking Avengers Endgame and tell me Paul Rudd doesn't look exactly the same as he does in Romeo plus Juliet. It's absurd. Paul Rudd and Rob Lowe are both like ageless. I don't know what unicorn dicks they're sucking, but it's working. (laughs) At least Rob Lowe went gray. Come on. Like Paul Rudd just doesn't even look like he's ever had a gray hair in his life or a wrinkle (laughs) or a fucking sunspot. Fucking nothing, man. Yeah. It's amazing. But yeah, that's that's kind of the, the synopsis of this next session, section. So we get this fast forward bullshit to show that the Capulets are setting up for this big party of theirs. And uh, Do we really need to show things in fast forward, Klaus? Is that like, did, did no. that work for you? You didn't. You could have said, hey, there's a party tonight and that would have been enough. Yeah. And my my exact note here is... Do we really need it? No. Your pacing and frantic editing choices make it seem like you were just hitting rails of coke off of Leo D's dick while in the editing bay. (laughs) Because that's what it felt like. Between that opening shootout scene and this, I swear to God, there's not enough coke in the world that can make me keep up with it. Not only is it unnecessary, the only thing I could think that would be reasonable to do in this situation is you are setting up a costume party. So that you can put Romeo in armor, so he kind of resembles, you know, the original version. So, all right, that's your plot device. Sure, fine. So, like, that's the only thing you would have to... You know what? You could do this. Yeah, we're planning a party tonight. Isn't that a costume party? Yeah, I've picked out my costume. Bam, you're done. (laughs) Meanwhile, uh, the matriarch of the Capulet clan, Juliet's mother, looks like she's about to star in a Katy Perry video. (sighs) She's like... 
Cruella DeVille murdered Madonna and has tried to impersonate her ever since. <laughs> Which makes a lot more sense with modern day Madonna, because uh, <laughs> she kind of looks like a ghastly Cruella DeVille. <laughs> <laughs> origin story um yeah maybe maybe she'll turn into Cruella Deville in real life here in just a few short months we can only hope <laughs> that, that that's the punchline of 2020 is that Madonna changes her name to Cruella Deville <laughs> oh my god <laughs> it was a horrible long tragedy ending in one great joke oh <laughs> uh, so it, and then we cut back to the Montague boys, they're gearing up, getting ready to go to this party that the Capulets are throwing. In this version, I don't understand why they're wanting to go to this party. Apparently Mercutio, who is our token black guy, because this is a 90s movie, you gotta have a token black guy. I guess he like somehow sneaked some invitations to the party and they're gonna sneak in. I... I guess. Yeah, I guess they're going to sneak in and just crash the party and take advantage of free booze is their plan, I guess. By the way, I like the actor who plays uh, Mercutio. He's in plenty of other stuff. Unfortunately, he was in The Matrix Reloaded, but he was in 28 Weeks Later. He was in Sons of Anarchy. Ooh, he was in Blade, the TV miniseries, as Blade himself. Mm. Yikes. I was going to say about him, but I agree with you that though there were some weird choices for the character, I think the actor nailed Nailed it. He was maybe my favorite part of the movie, was Mercutio. Yeah, he, he Shakespearean plays are meant to be on a stage and overacted and just done outlandishly, right? And this guy hits those points with Mercutio so well. Like, he is just... He's flamboyant, every, and he's cocky, and everything he does is just so over the top, but in the greatest way possible. And by the way, the show i was thinking of that he's in is he's in lost as michael mm. dawson if you've ever watched lost and yes i know it's a painful memory to have if you watched all of lost but you know we watched it we have to deal with it so and he was in oz the hbo show oz that's the mm. other show i was thinking of in oz he plays augustus he's the guy in a wheelchair basically for oz but he's also kind of your narrator for the show, so he gets a lot of extra screen time. He's really great in that. Like I, I really enjoy this actor, and I want to see him in more stuff. What I liked about him as Mercutio in this film is the other goons are kind of, they're kind of goonish in their gang. They're kind of like, they don't seem like they're the smartest. You know, they can pull the trigger if they need to, but they're kind of just like brute goons. You're talking about the Montague boys, right? Yeah. And then yeah. you have Romeo who's kind of like the sensitive one. And they have Mercutio, who is over the top and flamboyant at times, but he will equally turn on a dime and point a gun at you and get very serious-faced. He's dangerous. Here's the problem, though, because Romeo, in this, he comes off as the sensitive guy, quote-unquote, when in reality, Leo D should have just been playing himself because Romeo was a giant poon hound. That was his whole deal, was he was a slut. He was going out and banging chicks left and right. 
you know, that's cool, whatever, man, you do you. But he also does this bullshit nice guy thing of every girl he lays, he falls in love with. And he does nothing but talk about her. And all of the Montague guys have to sit around and listen to him fawn over his latest conquest as if he was going to chop off his own hand if she was taken away from him. Yes? No? Any thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> the internet was like it was nothing for a while and then it was like everything you said over like the course of two seconds <laughs> so i like i heard it but like i'm processing basically just saying he romeo's supposed to be a slut just yeah. banging everybody but he's also a simp and yeah. major simp vibes <laughs> romeo is a major simp you heard it here first romeo equals simp romeo plus juliet no romeo equals simp Mercutio all the way. Mercutio forever. Yeah, this should just be called Romeo Simps Juliet. <laughs> yes. He simps so, he literally simps himself to death. <laughs> and by the way, the guy who's playing Mercutio is named Harold Perrineau. So keep that in mind. Casting agencies, cast this guy more. I like him. So yeah, Mercutio shows up. He's got the invites in hand to give all the Montague boys to sneak in, but he also has designer drugs. Woo! But there's nowhere to go! Why may one ask? I dreamt a dream tonight. And so did I. And what was yours? That dreamers often lie. In bed asleep while they do dream things true. Oh, then I see Queen Mab has been with you. She is the fairy's midwife, and she comes in shape no bigger than an agate stone. On the forefinger of an alderman, drawn with a team of little atomies over men's noses as they lie asleep. Her chariot is an empty hazelnut. Her wagoner a small, gray-coated gnat, and in this state, she gallops night by night through lovers' brains, and then they dream of love, or lawyer's fingers who straight dream on fees. Sometimes she driveth o'er a soldier's neck, and then dreams he of cutting foreign throats, and being thus frightened, swears a prayer or two and sleeps again. This is the hag when maids lie on their backs that presses them and learns them face to bear, making them give a good carriage. This is she. This is she. I I don't understand the addition of designer drugs in this, but hey, it's the 90s, so ecstasy's everywhere. Let's go have fun. Was, and this is something I wasn't sure about, but was the designer drugs a reference to like Queen Mab, maybe? Like that whole d weird dream sequence? I have no idea what you're talking about right now. Uh, okay. Without like going into a full tangent, Queen yeah. Mab is a t is a entity associated with Shakespeare and other fairy tales. She's like a fairy queen. I know her primarily from um, the Dresden Files, where she's like a fae queen. But she like will go and steal people's dreams and give them weird dreams and shit. And so I was like, is this a weird reference to that somehow? Because I know Shakespeare sometimes would reference her. I don't think. So, I don't know, though. There, uh, Most of this is so incoherent, I couldn't tell you left from right, so. It really does go between, like, okay, this is a sensible scene where I understand what's going on, to just, like, insanity for a few minutes, and then it'll go back to normal. Yeah. Ugh. 
So this is one of the insanity sequences where they take drugs and there's just insanity going on. They're at a party. Everyone's dressed crazy. There's dust, pixie dust and glitter everywhere. And and unfortunately for Harold Perrineau, because he's the token black guy, he gets to dress in drag, which is a racist stereotype that's been going on in film since like the 40s or 50s. So cool. Glad to see that was still alive in 96. Yeah. And again, like, he does a good job at it, but, like, poor choices being made kind of uh, for him. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, he's he's pulling it off, don't get me wrong, but I do know there are a lot of black actors out there now who completely refuse to do certain roles because of Mm -hmm. shit like this. Yeah. Now, to be fair a little bit, Or to try and give a little credit to our director here. I'm not trying very hard, but to try. The description for this movie, (laughs) describing this movie as quote-unquote modern rock style. So if that's the quote-unquote style that they were going for, I could see where they're trying to steal a little bit from something like Rocky Horror Picture Show with the cross-dressing and everything. But the cross-dressing in Rocky Horror Picture Show has a huge deal to do with the plot and the characters. It's not just a thing, you know? Yeah, and and in this film, you know, what you're kind of getting at is that it could easily have been out and it wouldn't have changed the movie at all. Exactly. You could have taken it away and it would have been the same film. Yep. But they go on this drug-addled bend, bender, <laughs> insane colors and images, and it's all insane. And I, I'm trying to remember, at some point, this may be before they go to the party, Mercutio go, gives this big speech. I think that's before they go to the party. Mm-hmm. And then they do the drug-addled, and then when Leo sobers up is when he sees Juliet. See, I never noticed him sobering up. Like, I, I remember him fucking rolling rolling on this designer drug just like clearly ecstasy based he's rolling all through the party and then he gets into the bathroom and he's like freaking the fuck out and gets transfixed by this aquarium that's in the center of the bathroom which apparently that's the only divider between the men's and women's bathroom at this place is an aquarium which you can easily see straight through because this is where he meets Juliet and they see each other through the aquarium and that's where our star-crossed lovers begin to quote unquote fall in love. It's a hashtag cute meet. They follow each other through the aquarium. They are looking at each other while they're dancing and all this. They go dance. You're introduced to Paul Rudd, his character. He comes in and he basically is just like the the catch. You know, he seems to be well off financially. He seems like he's a nice enough person. So he's supposed to be the governor's son, I believe, which I guess is supposed to be our equivalent of a prince or something like that. Mm -hmm. He's basically Juliet's betrothed. That's his only function here. And that's fine. Yeah. It's unfortunate for a man like Paul Rudd to be stuck in this little bullshit character. But, you know, whatever. Do what you gotta do. It's a thing. Yeah, so they basically keep me, they dance, they kiss at some point, and then they find out later that they were of rivaling families, and that that was a problem. Yeah, they didn't realize who each other was at the time. Now, I I had a few notes on this scene. I'll try to run them through them really quick, because this is going to be a long-ass episode. First of all, all Romeo does is talk about how beautiful Juliet is, and... Basically, he has a giant hard on because she's so hot. And 
I fucking hate it when movies tell you to focus on the beauty of a woman over and over and over again. And then when I see her, to me, she doesn't live up to the hype. I don't know why it bothers me so much because, you know, these actors are just people. You know, I'm not expecting someone to be a great actress and look amazing all the time. You're just not always going to get the combo. But And I'm sure some people find Claire Danes to be extremely attractive. I'm just not one of them. But when an entire script revolves around this one fact, it's painful when it doesn't really pay off. Yeah, and it's it's <laughs> it's interesting too because that's all you get. There's not a lot of characterization for Juliet. Right. She's just a physical entity. Mm -hmm. Later on, you get, I mean, you kind of figure out that she really, really wants to bang Romeo, but that's about all you ever learn of her character. Like, she doesn't necessarily care for her mother or stepmother or whatever the deal is. Other than that, like, that's pretty much it. She's, she's there to be hot hate her parents and really want to fuck Romeo. And, you know, she does a good job of that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so on top of this, uh, Leo is like whispering all of his lines during all of this part. And the Foley noises and the music are so much louder than the dialogue. I could barely hear anything. This is a problem in that opening scene, and this is a problem again here, and it continues to be a problem throughout different parts of the movie where there's just foley noises and music and bullshit just overtaking all of our dialogue. And then comes, after they finally kiss in the elevator, the wonderful Juliet line, You kiss by the book. Which sounds like the most boring kiss to ever have been made. Yeah, I don't know. Is that referencing the Bible or like that was a textbook very good? <laughs> I, I don't know what Shakespeare was going with for that line. I don't know. <laughs> Except for the fact that Shakespeare was probably making out with his own books. Ah, uh, yes. The love of the book. And finally, to be clear, in this version, Romeo falls for Juliet while rolling on a psychedelic version of ecstasy. So literally he's so fucked up in the head, if he met a girl wearing fur, he would probably fall in love with her because I'm sure that fur would feel amazing on ecstasy. Like he is ready to fall into a cuddle puddle at any moment now. Yeah, so they they fall in love. Mercutio comes and drags them off and says, Lol, you simp. Come on, you dummy. And <laughs> the party ends. They found out who each other, what the families they come from, and find out that that's a big problem. And the Capulet guys finally recognize the Montague boys. They're all, like, wanting to fight and stuff. So the Montagues that's are like, right. we gotta get out! Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so they rush out. And the next the next kind of set is Juliet setting up that Juliet is to be wed, essentially. And there's now a time crunch. Is that right? No, no, that's not for a little bit. This is the part where they leave the party. They're in their convertible and Romeo just jumps out of the convertible runs back toward the Capulet mansion in front of all the Capulet guards who all just watch him do this and do nothing to stop him as he runs and sneaks back onto the estate and this is where we get our famous balcony scene. Yes. Okay. So, I mean, this is the scene we've all read before. He goes up there, he pines for her. She comes out on the balcony. Eventually they realize, realize each other are there. They both pine 
for each other face to face and eventually say they're going to meet and they're going to find a way to get married. Uh, you know, the rose by another name. If you had a different family name, it'd all be the same, blah, blah, blah. Maid is searching for Juliet the whole time and eventually Romeo Juliet! has to sneak off. Juliet! <laughs> Ugh. There's a part of this where Claire Danes just stares straight into the lens. I'm looking at her like, girl, you ain't the narrator. Why are you breaking the fourth wall right now? Uh, it felt awkward. And this entire scene just felt like a reason to get them into the fucking pool while yeah. she's wearing a white dress. Not to mention this, the sound once again is super mumblecore when Claire Danes is speaking. It's uh, I, I couldn't understand half of what she was saying in this scene, even though I knew like every line word by word from this scene because I've heard it so many times. And a Montague? Neither fair maid of either you dislike. How camest thou hither? Tell me, and wherefore? The garden walls are high and hard to climb, and the place death, considering who thou art. Love's light ways did I approach these walls, for stony limits cannot hold love out in what love can do. That there's love attempt. Therefore, thy kinsmen are no stop for me. There's nothing really to say about this scene. Like, it, it basically is by the book from what, what you would expect for Romeo and Juliet. I mean, other than them getting in the pool. Besides yes. the pool and the maid, like, that's kind of it. It's just basically exactly what you would expect. They say the things, they look at each other, there's romance, you know, love is in the air, blah, 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 and then the scene ends. Yep. Finally, we get Romeo running to the priest slash apothecary character mm. and served up to first off a painting of jesus that i thought was a painting of keanu reeves at first just a little thing to watch out for if you haven't watched this movie yet and uh, the prince song when doves cry being sung by a boy's choir which is just outrageous now see i would expect him to be in the pussy posse <laughs> <laughs> Prince. Yeah, dude. That would make sense to me. And I can't remember what else happens here. I know eventually the I know eventually Romeo's back on the beach and everybody's looking for him, but he's all sad because he's in love with Juliet and he can't love Juliet. So he's being sad and moody on the beach, and we get these really horrible CGI storm clouds that Klaus, I know you haven't seen it because we talked about it earlier, but if you've seen the movie The Craft and you remember those really bad CGI storm clouds rolling in over the ocean, the ones in this movie are even worse. So get ready for that. But yeah, you have these, this weird beach scene. I think that's the point where there's some kind of jibing with the, is it the Montague boys? And then comes the Capuliets. Once again, John Leguizamo comes in. <laughs> Because at this point, he's somehow figured out that Romeo wants to marry Juliet. And so he's coming basically saying... No, I don't even think that. I no, think he doesn't know he, that. You're he right. Just remember, he, he just saw them at the party and Mr. Capulet wouldn't let him go after them at the party. So he's come to their beach to find them. That's right. Yeah. And that's the whole point of this is because he's come to basically face them and face Romeo. And he wants to, you know, guns are drawn. They're all pointing. It's all very tense. But Romeo basically is refusing to fight, and everyone 
including Mercutio, the Montagues, and the Capliets are kind of confused by this. So there's this scene where like they end up fighting, but Romeo basically doesn't fight back and doesn't use a weapon and basically lets him kind of beat him down. They eventually fight out off the beach into to this other area where they hang out where there's a bunch of rubble and shit. It's like a construction zone or something. This whole time, the Capulet leader, Capulet, <laughs> is more and more confused that Romeo isn't fighting back. And it's all because he just doesn't want to start shit with the Capulets right now. He, he knows that he's in love with their daughter, and he's going to try and make a move, so there can't be any more tension between them than there already is. And he keeps saying things like, you know, I love you as if I love my own family and stuff like that, which is very confusing, but he never says, you know, I'm in love with Juliet or whatever. And on top of all this, we've already had the declaration from the sheriff saying, if there's any more trouble between y'all, I'm going to start either killing or exiling the shit out of you people. Yeah, yeah. And so they're they're still in confrontation, but they're not using outright, like, the guns or the swords, as it were, or not being outright used. <laughs> There's a moment when uh, Mercutio gets involved as well, and there's a piece of broken glass. And while going, I think it's while he, while he's going for Romeo, Mercutio gets in the way, I think. Yeah, Mercutio kind of like jumps in the way to save Romeo. And we have the old uh, just a scratch line mm. and everything. And It's not. I really love... Once again, this actor fucking kills this role all the way through, and his monologue-ish type thing throughout all of this scene is fucking fantastic. Art thou hurt? Aye, aye, a scratch, a scratch, a scratch! Courage, man. The hurt cannot be much. Twill serve. Ask for me tomorrow, and you shall find me a grave man. <laughs> they have made worms meat of me. A plague on both your houses! As he's slowly bleeding out and finally places the blame on Romeo and claims a curse upon both your houses, uh, it's it's fantastic. The, the whole scene. And plus, this is the first scene in the entire movie where I felt like I could breathe because we actually slow down and mm -hmm. we have a pretty long uncut shot of Mercutio delivering these lines. Mm -hmm. I think that's because he's one of the few actors in this movie who could fucking memorize his lines. <laughs> I, I think he carries this film. I really think he does. And it's sad he dies halfway through it. <laughs> Yep. But you have, I mean, this is really more, not necessarily the film itself, but the plot of the story, you know, the original and this version adaptation of it is, uh, but because this film does focus more on it and doesn't kind of push it aside like other movies do that just focus on the romance, you see Mercutio as this interesting character who seems like the one of the ones that still wants to stick to the old rules, that doesn't want, you know, Romeo going off and causing all this, that love can lead to violence. What of the love of your own family, you know? It definitely speaks more to the tribalism aspects mm -hmm. of Shakespeare's play. And you and I talked about this before recording, but not pushing those characters aside and actually having multiple scenes that focus on just them as the original play did, it gives so much more context to the full story. Like, I remember watching a version of this, uh, like a movie version of this play in high school. I didn't even remember any of the characters outside of Romeo, Juliet, and 
the priest. Those were like the only three characters I remembered at all. And so actually seeing it all done correctly and quote unquote by the book, it brought the plot together in a much more satisfying way than most adaptations you see. What this drives is the next plot point where Mercutio does in fact die and you really, these whole, that whole scene and some of the previous ones set up the kind of strong bond between Mercutio and Romeo as friends or whatever. Well, he's his drug dealer, so, I mean, what, what better friend dealer. can you get? <laughs> but when Mercutio dies, Romeo now hates Tybalt or Tybalt or whatever his name is. Yeah, Tybalt. Can't, can't let that one go. Gotta, gotta get revenge for Mercutio, even though he used his dying breath to curse both our families. <laughs> and Tybalt, who is John Leguizamo decides to fucking haul ass because Romeo is after him. We get Leo D wrecking John Leguizamo's car, and as soon as the car was wrecked, uh, spoilers for The Happening, if you haven't seen The Happening, but uh, I was kind of hoping John Leguizamo would just slash his own neck on the broken window, just like he does in The Happening, the M. Night Shyamalan movie. He doesn't do that here, unfortunately. Romeo gives Tibble all the chances in the world to kill him throughout this scene. Like, Tybalt could just pull the trigger, I don't know, 20, 30 different times and kill Romeo, but he never does. And then as soon as Romeo has a chance, he fucking murders the shit out of Tybalt. Like, doesn't even think about it twice. As soon as he gets a gun in hand, boom. And that, I think that one of the underlying themes of the Shakespeare plot in general is that love can lead to violence. And the obvious love in Romeo and Juliet is the love between Romeo and Juliet that kind of precipitates all of this. But you also have the love between Romeo and Mercutio. Even if it's not a romantic love, but a more platonic one, it's that love that drives Romeo to rage, that drives him to murder Tybalt when he doesn't need to. Well, and I think the more important love here is the love of family and tribalism and how toxic it can be. Because if you look, like, once again, I'm no, I'm no English major, but if you look at something like King Lear by Shakespeare, it shows how toxic and insane families can be amongst themselves, much less when you have a different side of it of this one where families are very tight but you have the tribalism aspect to where outsiders are seen as the enemy and so it's it's just a different play on the same theme of family love can just cause more problems than solve romeo kills tybalt this leads the sheriff or the um i guess the sheriff the police sheriff yeah to banish romeo which kind of gets rid of any chance that romeo and Julie have together so juliet is now set to be betrothed to the governor's son or the prince the ageless paul rudd which is not a bad deal for her but she doesn't want to take it because she's in love with romeo because she's in love with romeo and by that i mean there's literally a line in here where all she's talking about is how she can't fuck him because they're not married there, there's an entire scene almost that the entire point of the scene is her just speaking to herself about how fucking horny she is and how she can't get over it which i mean it, it does speak clearly to the whole like teenagers raging hormones they don't give a shit who the person is if they're attracted and they want to fuck they're gonna try and fuck <laughs> and so this is where the um 
age old, you know, the plan we all know that she's going to fake her death to get out of the wedding and then go meet up with Romeo. And she's going to do that by using a sedative of some sort. Well, now, uh, uh, you're, you're, skipping, skipping over you're skipping all the Romeo and Julia getting married. Well, actually, I guess oh, technically that was before the whole Mercutio scene, which is why he was saying, I love you as my family, because they were. Uh, yeah, they they run off. They get married by the priest secretly. They spend the night together. The maid catches them in bed together. We have that whole really awkward scene of Leo D under the sheets with her and shit. And it was just really cringeworthy but yeah i know we kind of skipped over that but who the fuck wants to talk about that when we can talk about mercutio more so um <laughs> can you title this episode mercutio yeah why not fuck it nobody's listening anyway hey guys <laughs> after all of that we get we get to the point where juliet's supposed to marry paul rudd's character a little accidental bigamy there but she weasels her way out of it we got Romeo being banished to the wastelands, which I really hated the look of the... At first, I liked the look of the wastelands in this movie because it's just like a really spread out trailer park in the desert, which is kind of fun. It had this like real fallout kind of feel to it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, thought, I thought it was cool and it kind of... I don't know if it's just because we watched all those Western movies not too long ago, mm -hmm. but I got heavy Western vibes. And maybe it was also because of some of the Western themes in that original gunfight, but I got heavy Western vibes from it for some reason or another. I kind of liked it. It was kind of cool. I, I liked it up until there's a shot where you can literally see a bunch of buildings of a town in the background. And then I was like, well, it's not much of a wasteland if it's got a fucking mall, right? You know, like... <laughs> <laughs> Not even half a mile away, bro. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's um like first world problems. Like it's a wasteland to a first world person, but yeah. not, not to most people. Someone who's never been outside of a major metropolitan area. <laughs> What else do we got here? So Juliet goes to the priest. She's trying to figure out a way to get out of the wedding and get back to her Romeo. They devise the whole plan of, I'll make you this tonic. It'll put you to sleep for 24 hours. People will think you're dead, but you're not. You'll wake up and I'll make sure that Romeo is waiting right here for when you wake up and y'all can run off together. And... He sends a letter to Romeo, but just like today when post offices are being broken down brick by brick, <laughs> the letter never reaches Romeo. And in reality, he's just too busy hitting rocks with a stick behind his trailer to receive the letter. He's so, so sad, though. <laughs> that lets us know how sad he is. On a scale of zero to uh, hit stick with rock, how sad are you? <laughs> Uh, it it kind of reminded me of the baseball scene in Twilight. Did you ever see Twilight? Uh -uh. Oh, God damn it. Klaus, you got to watch more movies, man. <laughs> well, for everyone else in the world who has definitely seen Twilight, just remember that awesome baseball scene where they can only play during a thunderstorm because the sound of thunder is the only thing that can hide the sounds of vampires hitting baseballs with bats. And, Klaus, I'm looking at your face. Yes, this is an actual thing in the movie. No, um, it's not. <laughs> anyway, no, so yeah. Not. Romeo, it is. I swear. You can look it up. Do they I literally say, 
we have to plan it around the thunderstorms because we hit the balls too hard. Yeah, literally, one of the characters looks at fucking Bella, whatever her, whatever that actress's name is, Kristen Stewart. <laughs> one of the characters looks at her and goes, oh, it's going to be stormy later. We should go play baseball. And she's just like, well, what? And then they get out there and the first time somebody hits a ball, she understands because it's so loud. It sounds like thunder. Yeah. Yep. That's the thing. <laughs> all right all right sure. um, ju- just as it. just as a side story because this episode isn't gonna be five hours already i had seen i think the first two twilight movies on my own but then i think it was last year i was living with my friends deb and jeff and i finally talked them into like okay guys we need to watch all the twilight films you know we don't have to like binge them or whatever but we need to go ahead and start watching them so we can watch all of them and we kind of ended up accidentally watching all five of them in five days literally every day of a week we would come home from work and we would all sit down and watch a twilight movie together (laughs) there's five of them yeah there's five of them no oh yeah how could this be? There's not just three, like all the other trilogies? No, they they went more Harry Potter-ish on this one. <laughs> Harry Potter is only four books. No, it's seven. Nope. But... Goblet of Fire is the last one. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Order, uh, Order of the Phoenix is the most boring one, and I didn't read past that because I got bored after reading the Order of the Phoenix but. <laughs> Here's my theory. You had a tangent, my turn. Yeah, Harry ahead. Potter tangent. This is a podcast within a podcast. Welcome <laughs> to Harry Potter Watch. Um, Potter Harry Watch. Potter, hot take, Harry Potter. It got, there was athletes that were reading the books, right? You know, the, the jockey people and they're like, oh, this is cool. Quidditch. This is a cool game. Sports. Yeah. And then Quidditch went away about after the fourth book and it was never seen again. And it was the best part of the books. <sighs> Yeah, I'm telling you, man, the fifth one, Order of the Phoenix, it was such a weird turn in the story. Like, and I get that's where all the uh, intrigue and kind of the building of, you know, the final parts of the story began. But when you have an entire, like, thousand page book all setting up the last two giant over thousand page books or whatever... Mm-hmm. Oh, man, I could not take it because the first four books were so fun. And then you had The Order of the Phoenix and it was no longer fun. They were complete stories. It's the same problem The Hunger Games had. I think they're either second or third movie where that movie was entirely like you're saying. The whole purpose was to set up the next one and nothing was resolved. It was just a cock tease that left you with the biggest blue balls ever. And then you had to wait another year for those blue balls to be satisfied. And they were still unsatisfied because the end of whatever what are we talking about hunger games (laughs) the fucking ending of hunger games like did you read the books the hunger games no and i never watched the last movie because i was like yeah i I just didn't want to i didn't care i read the books before the movies started coming out because i knew they were coming and i was like you know i've heard good things the books aren't too long there's only three of them i'll read through them real quick and the ending of the third book it felt like there was another 150 pages and it wrapped up in like 20 pages and i was pissed because i oh it was so bad i did not care for it at all and then when you take the third book and change it into two movies, I knew that shit was going to be a train wreck, so I had to go see yeah. it. <laughs> so, Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's what we're doing a podcast about, right? Um, 
wait, wait, wait. Let me pitch you a movie. This is <laughs> this is Klaus pitches a movie to you. Time, yay! Is another is another Romeo and Juliet adaptation mm-hmm. set in the Harry Potter universe? Genius. I mean, yeah. I, I think I would enjoy that a lot, actually. Malfoy is the Capulet. You got Ron <laughs> as what does Mercutio? Snape can be the sheriff. Ron's not nearly charismatic enough to be Mercutio. Oh, now, see, it would have to be. I, I want this story in the Harry Potter universe, but with completely new, new Harry characters. Potter characters. Yeah, because that's the problem with all of these quote unquote universes, right? Is that no one actually has any original ideas. They just keep reusing the same characters doing the same shit that they've been doing since the beginning i.e star wars (laughs) let's get the film we always wanted which is you have harry potter without harry potter yeah he ruins the world by ending it i honestly think that harry potter should go through an anakin skywalker kind of story arc like if you want to continue him post hogwarts I think he should go on to become a super famous, you know, Quidditch all-star, make shitloads of money off of that. Now this is pod racing, Quidditch time. Yeah. And then afterwards he goes into politics because he's famous. Mm. He's the boy who destroyed he whose name we must not speak. And then he takes over the fucking wizard government and becomes the emperor. Like that. That's the kind of shit we should have going on in Harry Potter right now. Is it like a Star Wars? (laughs) Romeo and Juliet. What what happens here? They like kill each other. The end. Fucking Romeo hears from who's his top guy? I don't even know the his top. It guy's was Mercutio. Name. Now no, it's not Mercutio. It's the leader of the Montague. Oh, boys. Daddy Montague, Father Montague, Balthazar, Balthazar. Whew, he is the last one shown on IMDb. Anyway, fucking Balthazar finally makes it out to Romeo in the Wastelands, tells him, oh no, Juliet's dead. Maybe it wasn't Balthazar. It was somebody. Who gives a shit? They <laughs> tell him, oh no, Juliet's dead. I saw her body. Romeo comes back and is running from the police into the chapel, sees Juliet dead. Uh, oh yeah, he stopped at a random drug dealer's house and bought some poison, kills himself sitting there beside Juliet's quote-unquote dead body. Now, and we talked about this before recording too, this is the only version of this story that I've ever seen where Juliet literally wakes up the moment after he's drank the poison and he's still alive. (laughs) So he actually gets to see the error he made. Yeah, they literally lock eyes and they like both look at the empty vial he literally just swallowed. (laughs) And like leading up to it is her like twitching a finger and like eyelids twitching. (laughs) Juliet, you all right, girl? You gonna make it? (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah, so she wakes up and she does the whole please let there be enough poison on thy lips thing. And there's not, of course, and in the original where she stabbed herself in the chest with a dagger, which, cool, whatever, uh, instead we have the, I'm gonna pick up Romeo's gun and blow my own head off. Alright, first problem with this, women who kill themselves with guns, the majority of them shoot themselves in their chest, because 
of this whole weird, you know, stigma where women have to be beautiful and perfect and everything. They don't want to ruin their own face. So they shoot themselves in the heart. Secondly, this Juliet chick just like puts the gun at this weird angle to where if she had shot herself like this, it would have just taken out her left eye. That's all the damage that would have been done. Yeah. She'd have been blind in one eye and would have been completely her fine. would have been, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. And then final narration to wrap this shit up yet again, talking about how there's your movie and roll the fucking credits. We made it out. <laughs> we did it. Good lord. I, I like how towards the end we were just desperately trying to not talk about the movie. <laughs> well, th there's so many more things that are interesting than a story that I've heard 5,000 times told in the exact same way. I've seen it 5,000 mm -hmm. times, but the pictures I'm looking at are updated and that's it. Yeah, the context is a little different. The colors are different, but the story, even the words are basically the same. Yeah, pretty much an exact carbon copy. Ugh, I don't know, man. By the end of this movie, like I was over the novel idea of having a Shakespearean play set in the 90s. Mm -hmm. I was just over it. Like, I, I think you get over it right at the balcony scene. When the balcony scene starts, that's when I was just like, okay, this 90s thing is stupid. I'm over it. Yeah. I think when Mercutio died, that's when I was over it. Well, that's when I was done with the movie entirely. Because <laughs> once Mercutio was no longer on screen, there's no reason to continue watching. <laughs> so do you know, I know you know, the movie, God, help help me please it's the oz play fuck me wizard of God oz the, Wiz? the wizard of oz play oh uh but it's not the wizard of oz it's like shit if you hadn't asked me i could have told you um wicked it's like a prequel wicked the broadway wicked thank show. you yeah thank you i mean i could imagine so many more interesting adaptations where it's like wicked where you take a well-known story but you go before or after the known story yeah you you focus on one of the characters and go at it from an interesting angle right yeah i that would have been really cool so I, I think like you're saying the gimmick of modern day is not enough to keep you entertained for the whole movie modern day throw in a bunch of pop songs from the time you get to do all these crazy costumes and everything's all highly stylized if i have time between now and the next time we record i'm gonna try and look up some like interviews with this director or something to i want to hear his point of view of what the fuck he was trying to do with this movie because i like i said we've been super fucking busy i'm already a week late on an episode we just haven't had time to do enough homework on this but i need to know what the fuck he was thinking and once again he wrote and directed moulin rouge which i think is a fantastic musical and i know a lot of other people who are into musicals would agree with me i'm not even the biggest musical person so you know he has the capability yeah and yeah so you know he has it even on top of that it's this similar sort of thing except in a musical version and it's as far as i understand i think it's an original story I don't think he's, you know, I don't think he's copying anything like he did here. So he has the the creative ability and he has an eye for a good shot. He can make a good movie. I don't know what the fuck he was doing with Romeo plus Juliet. So 
With this movie, we have Romeo plus Juliet, this modern 90s adaptation where the story and the language is largely original, but the setting and backdrop is more modern with a lot of 90s theme of the music, some of the editing. What are your final themes on it? The, or the final thoughts on the movie, the themes? What would you rate it? I don't know how long this episode will be after I edit it, but we have been recording now almost two hours. We're not quite over the two hour mark. I think I've said... About as many horrible things as I can say about this movie. I actually do enjoy most of the soundtrack, even though I don't think it fits this movie. I fucking love Harold Perrineau. I want him in more movies. Mercutio for life. I think that should be a fucking real specific t-shirt. <laughs> is Mercutio for life. And that's all I've really got to say. I don't think Leonardo DiCaprio could memorize his lines. I think they had to ADR a shitload of his lines. Because a lot of them are delivered with him looking away from the camera. And shit like that. The audio was fucking horrible in half the scenes. And I think they expected you to know every word of the play going in. Because if you didn't you wouldn't understand what half the people were saying just because of sound design. The the editing was just atrocious throughout 90% of this. <sighs> I'm, I'm going to give it a 4 out of 10, and it only gets that many points because I like a lot of these actors. Even when they're being bad, they're fun to watch on screen. So... Yeah. Take that four with a grain of salt. I I mean, you basically, you said it. I mean, I agree. If I were going to suggest a Shakespeare movie or even specifically a 90 Shakespeare movie or even specifically a Romeo and Juliet adaptation, this would not be it. I just, this would not be it. Mercutio nailed it. Him alone is the only um, salvageable part of the movie, in my opinion. Um, Mercutio for life. Everyone else can suck it. Yeah. I kind of want to tell people to watch this movie just because it is so fucking weird. I mean, once again, it is a weird twist on a classic. I don't think it works, but it's weird and it's fun to see weird shit like if, if you missed this because like when this movie came out i was five years old however i had a sister who was much older than me and so i got to see weird shit that she watched that's the only reason i even really knew about this movie to put it on this list if you missed it go watch the first half once once mercutio's dead get the fuck out of there you know the rest of the story <laughs> well actually you might want to stick around until john leguizamo gets shot because once you watch that video from the pests you want to see him get uh -huh. shot <laughs> That's all you want in life. Yeah. Themes-wise, uh, we don't have anything to compare this to yet. This is the first in our series, but uh, damn, that music was 90s. Damn. As far as cast goes, it's hard to get more 90s than this cast. They went all out. Yeah, I mean, you have Leo D. You have uh, <laughs> Girl from Homeland. <laughs> Claire Danes, yes. You have Kenny Loggins. <laughs> I don't even know who you're going for on that one. What is his name? Kenny uh, Malibu's Miss One. Oh, uh, fucking God damn it! Now I can't remember names. <laughs> who cares? It's not worth I remembering. I do, because uh, he is a piece of shit. He deserves to be remembered. Now you're gonna force me to remember it. Now I gotta look up Malibu's Most Wanted. Fuck my search history. <laughs> 
his name? Jamie Kennedy. Right. <sighs> yeah. I hate you for making me look that up because it would have bothered me for fucking weeks. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, we got, like you said, Leonardo DiCaprio, Claire Danes, John Leguizamo. What the fuck is that? And then Jamie Kennedy, Paul Rudd, which, I mean, he's timeless. Yes. Timeless. Paul Rudd is timeless. Yes. But. Mercutio for life. Yeah. Mercutio for life. Paul Rudd for life also. So what's next? What is next? That's a fantastic question, to be honest with you. Mystery. <laughs> is it too late to bail on, <laughs> on this list? Nah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I haven't seen this next one. I, I've seen Romeo and Juliet or Romeo plus Juliet before, but I've never seen Let the Devil Wear Black. 1999, directed by Stacy Title. Fun fact. Stacy Title also directed Bye Bye Man. So for all my horror people out there, if you've seen or heard about the awful horror movie Bye Bye Man, we're about to watch a Shakespeare adaptation from 1999 directed by the same person. So, uh, yeah, join us for that. That'll be fun. Until next time. I'm Jake. And I'm Klaus. And this was real specific. Bye. <laughs> oh my god what a horrible horrible i bless you for having edited that <laughs> train wreck hey everybody thanks for listening to the show i just want to remind everyone that we have a twitter account at real specific where i will post updates and any memes and things that we produce and if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please reach out to us at realspecificpod at gmail.com. Or drop by our anchor.fm page to leave us a voice message that can be added directly into the show. Thanks again, and enjoy.